Welcome, foolish readers, to a spooky edition of Shit We've Read, brought to you by the creeps at Oblivion Geeks and the ghouls at Bilo Network. <laughs> Hola mi gente y bienvenidos a Shit We Read, a sci-fi fantasy book podcast hosted by unos amigos geeky. Yo me llamo Jason Rico and uh, joining me as always is my friend Laura Benson. Hey Laura, how's it going? Good, how are you? Muy bueno, gracias. Y también aquí tenemos a nuestra amiga Bella Romero. Hey Bella, what's up? How's it going? Hola, ¿cómo estás Rico? Muy, muy bien, gracias, gracias. Um, for those of you who may be wondering, what the hell? Why Why is the SAP button on? Um, we are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, but also we're going into the spooky season. So we're hitting two birds with one stone. And we're reading Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Because it is a Gothic horror. So it hits all the check marks. Yeah. Whose idea, whose idea was that? I know, I know you're asking because you want to take credit for it. Uh, I will say, though, this was already potentially one of the books we're going to read. And then yeah, when you it threw it out independently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on our list. And then it, it got knocked off, but then realized we actually did have, a, have an episode to do it for. So it worked out. Yeah, you get partial credit, Bella. Oh, wow. You both, I'll take you it. both get credit. Get partial credit. Uh, we all get credit. <laughs> Rico, where did you get the idea from? Me? No. Hello. <laughs> I know books. I've heard of things. <laughs> How dare you? It is I would not just too like late to, say, to uninvite audience, you. I, I have receipts. I would just like to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Screenshots right. are a thing. All right. Happy let's to provide focus, them to anybody. Let's focus on the episode. We're talking about Mexican Gothic. However, as always, before we get to that, I want to ask you both, uh, what other shit have you read recently? Um, Bella, do you want to want to start us off? Yeah. Um, I really, you know, the last few months have been really stressful. So I went deep to my roots and found like the rom-com equivalent of a book just to listen to at night. I like to do audiobooks um, to fall asleep. They're just sleep timers, the best thing ever. So I revisited the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Um, <laughs> I've gone through the first three or first four, the originals, and uh, the author brought back the girls uh, for sort of like a flash forward, wrap up the series, where are they now kind of book called Sisterhood Everlasting, I think. Um, it's terrible. I can't remember the title. I just was like, play, keep playing, keep playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're just, they feel good. And it was comforting because I'd already read them. But this one, I've actually never read. It came out in 2017. I uh, didn't even know it existed. And the whole time I was picturing the actresses because they're all, the book is set when they're in their, they're all 29 about to turn 30. And all the actresses are now in their 30s and like with kids and stuff. I was like, they should remake they should make this a movie like that would be so perfect yeah so just putting that out there hollywood (laughs) america ferrera blake lively come on um but yeah so i've been rereading those and then my other book for my other book club that i mentioned last time it just so happens every time we do this podcast i also have another book club meeting that same week how dare you um 
Oh, well, trust me, you guys are booked like way in advance. And they're always like last minute, like, hey, when should we meet? And I'm like, I haven't read that book because I'm reading another book for another book club uh, slash podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to speed read that one later. I might pull a Rico and be like, yeah, sure. I read it. Um, but that's lore. <laughs> Uh, it's Lore by Alexandra Bracken, which I feel oh. like Rico, that might have been one of the books you told me about for your guys' podcast. Yeah, I think so. I think when I was yeah. putting out potential books, that so was one I'm re- of them. I'm ready to do that one at any no, time now. Lord, yeah, I haven't read it yet. So <laughs> you can just do it back to back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've just been doing a lot of stress audio booking and uh, speed reading for podcasts and book clubs that's been that's been my month <laughs> of reading <laughs> awesome awesome cool yeah laura what about you um i just read uh nofec gloss by essa hansen um i read it for our local library sci-fi book club they they just started it and so um their first meetup had the author actually present jason you you caught some of it I did. Um, I joined the meeting. Although I didn't read the book. <laughs> yeah, so you probably mm, got some. That's spoilers. a pattern for you, huh? <laughs> you know, it's not. It's really not. How dare you? But it, it was. It was really cool. It was. It was different. It was. I mean, it was still. It, it was a. It was like a space opera, sci-fi, really cool story. It had a little bit of like a multiverse type thing in there, like uh, different universes existed in bubbles in random places in space. And so it was, it was really interesting, a, a different take than what I've read so far on a multiverse. Um, and it was just cool kind of hearing from the author and that book club. So um, I enjoyed it and I am looking forward to the second book coming out. I think she said early next year. Mm-hmm. So I will be keeping an eye out for that. I definitely recommend it. Um I was also very excited because I am, I am all about the space stories with the misfit family crew kind of thing, which is what I got from this too. So I was definitely excited to, to read it. Sweet. So, yep. Um, I the last couple of things I read have been graphic novels. Um, Laura, I mentioned this to you before. I am slowly making my way through all the extended universe Star Wars uh, mm-hmm. fiction. How has not, that been Not going? all of it. Not every single book because there is a lot out there, but I'm trying to yeah. keep going like timeline by timeline. Um, <laughs> That's still a lot. <laughs> it's still a lot. So I'm in yeah. the legacy era now, which, and I'm reading the comic books, which takes like a place a hundred years after Return of the Jedi or something. And it's Luke's descendant who... A hundred years? Yeah, it's in the future, so... So after our third trilogy? After, so this this existed before the sequel trilogy was made. So this is a different So canon. it's not canon. This is not canon anymore. This is it's now what they consider. Canon. No, no. This okay. is now what they consider legends. Okay. Um, but I'm making my way through the legends stuff before jumping to the official canon sequel stuff. Because um, I need to keep my, my timelines in order. Uh, yeah, it's been okay. I just kind of wanted to read something quick and light and sort of that. But the last book I read was uh, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, who um, you may be familiar with, uh, is the author of The Martian. Um, and I freaking love that book. 
or I mean this book, the Project Hail Mary, The Martian too. I love both of them. But Project Hail Mary was awesome. I loved it so much. Um, five stars, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Laura, I'm sure you would love it. Anybody well, who likes sci-fi. <laughs> anybody who loves sci-fi, you got to read it. It's really good. Super easy, super just engaging. Um, I love the way he writes characters. It's it's very like in the vein of like a, like a Harry Dresden or um, I think like the main guy from uh, Ready Player One, kind of like their perspective. This is very every man. I don't know. I just really liked it. So yeah, that's that's nice. what I read. Yeah, sounds maybe interesting. I'll, yeah, maybe I'll read that next. I have I I've been struggling picking out my next book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't remember what the official synopsis is on that, so I don't want to give away too much. Um, I just, you know, it's about a crewmate who goes off into space to do some stuff, and and uh, he's like the lone survivor, and he wakes up, um, but he doesn't remember anything. So he's kind of trying to figure out what he's doing in space. Well, first of all, he has to figure out where he is, and then he realizes, oh, I'm in space. Why am I in space? What am I doing? And so it kind of what a weird thing to forget, right? Like, That's kind of trippy. Put that on a post-it note or something. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, if you're reading this, you're in space. Uh, <laughs> don't open the door. It sounds like Memento meets The Martian. Yeah, a, a little, little bit. bit of that. A little yeah. bit of that. Um, some other some other movies come to mind too, but it might be kind of spoilery, so I'm not going to say them. Mm, okay. okay, we have to read it and then we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, sounds like yes. maybe another return. Heck yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need to get you to read sci-fi because you've only read half a fantasy and then a full fantasy. <laughs> yeah, sci-fi and I have a mixed bag. I love most sci-fi movies. I fucking love Star Wars. Uh, I hate Star Trek. Um, not a fan. <laughs> My mom has turned to the dark side of Star Trek. She now watches it with my stepdad, who's a Trekkie, and I've disowned her. Um, so that's how I feel about that. <laughs> uh, wow. but Sci-Fi and I have a mixed relationship. Um, had some bad experiences with Kurt Vonnegut. Did not like his books. Um, so I feel like that really tainted my perception of sci-fi, but I'm open to trying new books, especially because you two are like to me, like experts or connoisseurs of sci-fi books. So I'd be down to read one that you guys recommend. We do only read the finest. I mean, there's so many different subgenres of sci-fi though. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe you just got to figure out what you got to find my subgenre. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't love a lot of the space stuff, like being in space and traveling to planets. That's surprisingly not. I I don't even know why I like Star Wars if I don't like to read about that. But... (laughs) um, (laughs) I think it's because Star Wars got me young and I fell in love with the characters and everything. That makes sense. So I don't know that it's like if I had watched it now or even, you know, five years ago, if I'd still like Star Wars. I don't like the 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 sequels, the sequel trilogy, 789. Trash. Trash. And here we go with Bella's here hot we go. takes yeah. early on, just <laughs> coming out swinging. Seven started great, eight destroyed it, nine tried to fix it, but was just a hot mess. It was, yeah, it was too late. That's my quick hot take on. But but I sequels. will say I still enjoyed them overall. But there are definitely things that uh, I didn't cannot go that watch. Way. Eight. I'm with, I'm with Bella for uh, 
Blast Jedi. Like I, I, I tried watching all the movies Ugh. in order, and then when I get to them, I'm like, Ugh. well, at least I you could can not tell. watch eight. You can tell so bad. They did not plan ahead very well. No, I mean, Ryan Johnson interviewed, you know, during The Last Jedi and was like, I was not given a plan. I was told I had creative freedom. I could decide where to take things. And he took it in a very bad direction. Um, He's a great director, just not a great Star Wars director. (laughs) I want to say Bella Romero's thoughts do not necessarily reflect those of shit we've read. If you like The Last Jedi, that's great for you. Mm. We don't personally. You can you can tune out now. I don't respect your opinions if you we'll like the last <laughs> Let's move on to the book we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, Mexican I could go authors. on and on about that. You better cut me off. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so we're going to Mexican Gothic, as I mentioned by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a Gothic horror. Um, Laura, do you want to read us the, the official synopsis? Uh, sure. This is the synopsis on Goodreads. After receiving a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin begging for someone to save her from a mysterious doom, Noemi Taboada heads to High Place, a distant house in the Mexican countryside. She's not sure what she will find. Her cousin's husband, a handsome Englishman, a stranger, and Noemi knows little about the region. Noemi is also an unlikely rescuer. She's a glamorous debutante, and her chic gowns and perfect red lipstick are more suited for cocktail parties than amateur sleuthing. But she's also tough and smart with an indomitable will, and she is not afraid. Not of her cousin's new husband, who is both menacing and alluring. Not of his father, the ancient patriarch who seems to be fascinated by Noemi and not even of the house itself, which begins to invade Noemi's dreams with visions of blood and doom. Her only ally in this inhospitable abode is the family's youngest son. Shy and gentle, he seems to want to help Noemi, but might also be hiding dark knowledge of his family's past. For there are many secrets behind the walls of High Place. The family's once colossal wealth and faded mining empire kept them from prying eyes. But as Noemi digs deeper, she unearths stories of violence and madness. And Noemi, mesmerized by the terrifying yet seductive world of High Place, may soon find it impossible to ever leave this enigmatic house behind. Thank you. Thank you. So, Bella, I'm going to start with you. No spoilers, just right out the gate. What are your first impressions of the book? First impression, I really, really liked the book. It felt very Guillermo del Toro, like a little bit of that like surrealist fantasy. Uh, things are not what they seem. There's sort of this um, like mythical element to it, um, like all magical mythical element to it um was very pleasantly surprised not what i expected based on the title did not read the synopsis ahead of time though so it kind of went into it like oh this will be like your typical like gothic romance novel and it was not um it did surprise me in a lot of ways um so yeah i was i was really happy with the book overall cool laura what about you uh overall i i enjoyed it um I'm not very familiar with gothic horror or horror in general, um, so I didn't really know what exactly to expect from it. Um, 
but I I really did enjoy the story overall. I, I I felt like it described things very well. It was very vivid in my mind as I was reading. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was definitely different from what I'm I am used to. But I still very much enjoyed it. Nice. Um, I I also enjoyed it overall. Um, I have read some of the author's other books. Um, so I'm kind of familiar with her, her style in terms of like, there's always going to be some sort of supernatural magical element to it. It's, it's never going to be straightforward. Um, so I was already expecting that and it, she delivered by that. Um, she also always, you know, hits me with the good, uh, Mexican, um, or, or even more ancestral, like Mayan stuff. Um, so this time was just Mexican countryside. Um, I loved all the little references to Mexican culture and Mexican, like, like pop culture and, and the people of Mexico. Um, and so that was nice, you know, being Mexican myself and kind of being familiar with that. Like, it's just nice to see these little things peppered in throughout the story that kind of just, you know, Hey, I know that I, when she references Chilaquiles, I'm like, Hey, Chilaquiles, what's up? I know that. I like those, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> So I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, you, you know, there's some sort of twist coming at the end. There's going to be something. And so I didn't quite know what it was, but I was looking for it. And so when it came, I was like, all right, how is she going to do this? And I liked it. I liked the way she she played it off and uh, she wrote about it. And uh, yeah, I have lots and lots of questions. I want to ask both of you and lots of things to bring up. <laughs> but um, that's all spoiler territory. So... <laughs> Anything else that you want to say before we just dive in and get to spoilers? Let's do it. Let's dive. All right. Let's go. Point right, of no this, return. <laughs> this, this is your warning. If you do not want this spoiled in any way, shape, or form, turn back now. Okay. Um, I, I forgot to ask both of you, were there anything about it that you you didn't like? Like anything that really kind of stood out of like spoiler oh, or I, not spoiler version. spoiler it could be spoiler okay, we're, okay. we're in there now okay I I think I don't think it's necessarily spoiler um I felt like the like the first half of the book was kind of slow yeah uh, that's I, was gonna be my thing yeah I mean it was it was interesting like I was getting I know it was it was supposed to be conveying these these different little details and you're supposed to start to feel a little you know, like something's going on and and start getting suspicious and whatnot. But it just felt like some things were just dragging on and on and on. And I feel like um, maybe it would it would translate better if it were a movie. Um, because then you're really actually feeling and seeing um, versus reading it. Because reading it just just took forever to get to the like the actual interesting puts or interesting stuff of the story that kind of yeah i kind of want to piggyback off of that the dialogue sometimes felt a little lazy as like it almost felt like she was writing this as a movie or miniseries like she had that in her head like oh this will become something visual um, and it is going to become something visual. Hulu picked it up oh, as a, as you're a limited right. series. Yeah, that's right. I um, forgot about that. Which I like while I was reading this, um, I had forgotten that. And while I was reading, I was like, this would do better as a movie. I agreed with you or like some kind of visual. I thought miniseries um, just because it reminded me a lot of, um, oh, the Amy Adams 
the oh that's gonna b- bother me that i can't remember right now uh it's it's an amy amy adams hbo limited series that was also based on a book and it's also about someone losing her mind and like questioning her reality and it similarly has this like green wallpaper in it that's similar to the cover of the book so like hmm. it's it, there's some parallels there that i think were unintentional but um yeah no so i'm with you i felt like some of the dialogue was like it just felt pretty repetitive the first half like she would go to town and like talk to francis and like kind of figure out the same things over and over again like catalina's catatonic like okay like I, I don't know. I just don't feel like it was moving very quickly that first half. Like at first I was like, this is not a fantasy book. Like, have we done it again? Did we, did we, <laughs> did we do, did we pull a lost apothecary and actually read like a historical fiction book yet again? Um, so when the fantastical elements came into play, that was much better. Um, but there are also some, some things about like the beginning that didn't match up with things at the end. like. The fact that like the she's not allowed to leave that or as you absorb the spores, like being around the house and everything going on, you're like the house kind of starts to trap you. I don't know. I think there were some things that felt unfinished um, with thoughts to that. I don't know, Rico, if that's where you were going. I don't know if I love my thought process on that. <laughs> um, Bella, earlier when you said it reminded you like a Guillermo del Toro film, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I got yeah. from it. Um, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but one of my suggestions, recommendations is going to be to watch um, the film was a Crimson Peak. Um, I think yeah. it's directed by that, him. That's supposed and, to be like one of the scariest movies ever, right? No. Am I wrong? I don't think oh. it was scary. Well, you're also dead inside. So like, <laughs> I mean, for a normal I mean, person. Yeah, but you don't got to say it like that. That's rude. <laughs> that's Sorry. Hurtful. I have enough feelings for so them to offensive. be hurt, Bella. <laughs> no, Crimson Peak, it, it's maybe like three years old with um, Tom Hiddleston. And, I know what you're talking about. It's yeah. supposed to be really scary. Is it? Uh, Z know. told me I am not allowed to watch it because I will be Well, you, terrified. yeah, we talked about this last time. You don't like anything scary. Like, you yeah, think you Jurassic Park Jurassic is scary. Park. So, okay, okay. It is scary. Okay, on the, on the Bella scale, it's <laughs> a 10. On a normal person scale, it's like a 4. Um what? But, you know, it's very gothic vibes. Like, it's like, I, in a lot of ways, I felt like I was reading the novelization of that movie. Not to say that they're copying or anything like that. No, I, I just felt like it's very reminiscent. And maybe it's because mm. Guillermo de Toro is a Mexican director. And so it just kind of has those maybe Mexican um, flavors kind of throughout. It's not, it's not based in Mexico. There's no Mexican characters in the film. But I think it's just in the DNA. And, and this author for this book while more inherently like putting in Mexican stuff in the book, I think it just has the same kind of Mexican DNA tied with the Gothic elements. It just kind of have very similar vibes for me. Um, so but, jumping ahead, but if you like this book, watch that movie um, by all means. Um, so what did you have a problem with though? Well, well, I'm going Is it to too that. similar. No, no, no. I, I didn't think it was too similar. She, she, okay. went, different. she went somewhere different with it. Well, it's really similar. It's pretty similar. I enjoyed them both. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, because I don't want to spoil the movie, but there's there's similar threads in the book. And yeah, let's move on. I don't want to spoil that. Um, Laura, what you said, we, we felt like the first half of the book was real slow. Um, 
maybe it's just because I'm more familiar with Gothic stories. Like I read a lot of older stuff that was actually written in the Gothic era and it is kind of slow, but well, I think that's, that's very when you were born. So correct. I used to collect them. They were serializa- serializations back then. You used to go down you have first the... editions. Yes, right? yes, yeah. yes. You used to pick up the penny dreadfuls, you know, you have to wait next month for the next part of it. It was really good. Um, I go to the local pub, chum it up with, you know, Charles Dickens and mm-hmm. anyhow. Um, <laughs> they're just slow in general because they're all about the slow build. It's all about the atmosphere. It's like they're, they're they don't yeah. get to the action yet. They're like very yeah. atmospheric and oh, you know, the candlelight's flickering and there's a breeze and there's, there's a curtain. <gasps> Is it a ghost? Oh, you don't know. And so it's all very much like that. So maybe I was just prepared for that. Because I didn't necessarily find it slow, but I did feel like it was a long, slow burn, if that makes sense. I I just don't think she did it very well. That's fair. In, in that, like, I feel like in, like, Dracula, Dracula is probably the only gothic I've truly read. Um, but I think also I stopped it at a certain point because it got really scary. But I think I finished it. <laughs> um <laughs> I've watched all the movies, so like I don't know why the book was so scary, but it was. Um, so, anyways, but so that book was a slow burn, but you were learning something at at each point. There was something to discover. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like the first half of the book she was learning a lot. Like it felt like a lot of the same mistakes around like she'd go to the cemetery and come back inside and like see Francis and she, he would not answer her question. And then she'd go to town and they would just keep telling her the same rumors. And I don't feel like they ended up paying off in the end. Like, I don't feel like she learned a ton in that first half that really made it worth it in the end. Like she learned stuff. She learned things about like the miners passing and like them being buried in the cemetery and like some weird shit going on, like the doctor being part of the family and that his daughter married the the guy, um, uh, the the father, whatever his name was. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't feel like a lot of payout from the first half. I feel like she learned a lot more that second half where she starts having like hallucinations and like listening, getting into the um not the void. What did they call it? Um, the gloom. The gloom. Yeah. Like, I feel like she learned more once we started to get into the gloom. And now, that's you, when it really picked up for me. Do you think it was potentially on purpose, like deliberate that the first half of the book kind of didn't really give you a whole lot? Because for, for me, part of Noemi's journey in this book, and I'm not just saying you're, you're, you're wrong. I'm, I'm just, I'm just asking the question just to ask mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, part of her journey for me and just kind of following along with her is you didn't really know what was what. And mm-hmm. if they give you too much information too much, you'll start figuring things out and you'll start wanting, you'll start wanting to get it to the end quicker, but you needed to have a little bit of, is she losing her mind? Is her cousin losing her mind? We don't, we can't really tell you yet. Like it's going to pay off, but you need kind of just need to go with us on this journey for a little bit. So do you think, the lack of information and the slow first half was deliberate or do you just think it's maybe the author not nailing it? I feel like that's probably what she was trying to do to like set the tone for the character. Cause Noemi, you know, like the synopsis says was a debutante 
was also going to college and going to university and was studying anthropology. So it also didn't feel right that she really wasn't cluing into some things early on. Like it kind of felt against like someone who wants to get her master's degree in 1951 in anthropology in Mexico was not figuring things out as well as I would have liked. Like she was suspicious and she definitely knew there was something else going on, but it took her a little too long to get there for me. Um, where I felt like it might have just been the author kind of stalling for time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I feel like she didn't really consider the mold early on enough. And I immediately was like, it has to do with the mold. It's co- The house is covered in the mold. Of course, that's causing some kind of psychosis. Like, you don't have to be whatever, you know, a, I can't remember, someone, a scientist who studies mushrooms to know that mushrooms cause hallucinations and disease and the spores if provoked can release things into the air mm-hmm. like that's just knowing mushrooms like growing up around i don't know i don't know but that also could just be me and i was just frustrated like girl the fucking mold is moving pay attention <laughs> like <laughs> it's literally the house is covered in it like ev- you're saying literally everything is moldy maybe that's causing something. Like, I don't think she really thought about it until the the scene where she's smoking the cigarette and she notices it, like, rippling with gold and moving around the wall and avoiding her cigarette smoke, which was, like, way past the halfway point. I think that maybe, Jason, getting back to that specific question, I think maybe it was a mixture of both. It was intentional, but also not necessarily well-planned. Mm-hmm. Um because I, I get the idea of needing to have that slow – what did you call it? Slow, slow build slow burn. up. Slow burn. Um, because it also makes you kind of put yourself in their position. And I think at the same time, I think in this book, she was trying to also um, communicate that Noemi's been there for a certain amount of time. So I think she's been there for a while overall. And so it's not something that just happens instantly. So you're you're you are kind of going through the days with her and figuring things out with her, but at the same time, you know, like what Bella just said is some of them felt kind of obvious. Um <laughs> but you yeah. know, it was still interesting, but that's also why why I'm thinking it would be better um a better story told on screen. Um yeah. I agree. With because music. There's, yeah, there's there's the music that gives you the mood. There's more visual cues that we might be picking up that we don't – you know, we're not um, getting from the books. You know, you can't tell us everything about what it looks like. Um, but, you know, I mean, again, overall, I thought it was, it was an interesting – it was an entertaining book. Yeah. Just the beginning was a little bit slower than I would have preferred. Um, what do you think, Jason? I don't even know what I asked anymore. He was he wasn't even he wasn't even prepared. He was again, he did not read the books. So. Yeah, he did read the book. Okay. For anybody listening, this this is this is what's going on. Um I didn't start the book until pretty late. Um so I How late? I, um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just messing three days ago? Two days ago? Two days ago? Two days ago. Um, and so I messaged both Laura and Bella last night as I was listening to the audiobook. Um, cause I was at my office working late. Um, uh, my office has like 
timed lights, like motion you know, sensors. So the office itself gets pretty dark if it's just one person working in the corner. So I'm listening to the book. It's pretty dark. It's pretty late. I'm by myself. And so I'm like, yo, this might not be the best environment for me to listen to a potentially spooky book. Um, or then again, maybe it's a perfect environment to listen to a spooky book. I don't know. Depends on what you're into. Um, and when you messaged us, you were you were just before when all the scary stuff starts happening. It was right at, right at the start of that, yes. It was so, maybe of course, I, I was you. really supportive. And I was like, don't worry, Jason. It's not that bad. Yeah. No, she was like, lock, <laughs> lock, lock the doors. They're going to get you. Yeah. So, um, I was like, you better have a nightlight. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fine. I survived. It's totally fine. But yeah, yeah it, was, really, it really maybe, wasn't that scary. It was more creepy. That's what was, that was my next question to both of you. Did you find yeah. this scary or creepy at all? Because I do think, I mean, if I'm going to answer my own question, again, going back to yesterday, I think this is the kind of book, you know, going back to gothic tales that were meant to be read or listened to by like candlelight on a dark, you know, winter's night to where the environment is going to add to that ominous Mm -hmm. feeling. But if you're, you know, reading it bright daylight in the middle of summer, maybe not so much. So that's it. Was it creepy to you? Do you find it scary? Bella, I know you find things scarier than most. So I would say that this definitely <laughs> leaned more towards the creepy side than the scary side. Agreed. Um, just because I don't think anything was like truly terrifying um, in terms of, I mean, there, there were definitely some things that were scary, especially as like a woman identifying person. Uh like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, trigger warning on this book. There are definitely some sexual assault scenes uh, and rapes dreams, I guess. It, it's difficult because it wasn't clear whether that – I mean, I'm pretty sure it was a dream. Um, but the way that the reality is warped in this house um, felt very real for Noemi. And so that's why it's like dream, quote unquote. Um, it did it did the same thing to her as if he had raped her. So there were definitely some things that were scary. Like you can't trust yourself. You could be forced to do something. Like those things were terrifying, especially like reading this as a young woman who was like, I can't trust myself around this guy who I don't want to be around me. Like that was like, oh my God. Like I know that's like everyone's worst nightmare. Um uh, and so that was scary, but not like scary, like monsters in the closet under the bed kind of scary. So I would say it definitely bordered on more like creepy scary, where it was like oozing mushrooms and like black bile being thrown up in your mouth and like old naked men decaying in front of you. Like things like that were just kind of gross and creepy and like fucking twisted. Um and like incest, like just kind of creepy, messed up white people things, you know? That sounds right. Yeah. Like they took the colonizer story and like made it even worse. Because <laughs> now he was a colonizer who thought he was a god and was eating his own children. Question question mark? I think that See, was this part book of it. is a perfect example of yeah. how the rich white man is just the worst monster out there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And like you get into eugenics, which you're like, oh god, thought we were done with that bullshit. But it is 1951 in this book, so mm-hmm. you do get a little bit of eugenics, um, which is funny because they're like transplants from Europe that are literally falling apart at the seams. Like their genetics are not 
up to par <laughs> and they're looking towards the beautiful Mexican women that they've kidnapped to reinvigorate their genetic line. And I'm like, so again, who's the superior race? That's all I, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> uh, Laura, what about you? Do you find it creepy at all? Or? Uh, pretty much what what Bella just said. It, it was more definitely more creepy than scary to me. Um, which, you know, again, I, I'm not that familiar with gothic horror horror in general so i kind of went in expecting it to be scarier um so maybe because i kind of had that expectation i was a little bit underwhelmed with it um but also looking at the fact that it's that it's probably it's supposed to be more just creepy mm-hmm. um you know i still i still thought it was the the actual the last half of the book was actually very creepy and did give me chills sometimes, did yeah. kind of creep me out. My, my heart rate got a little up at certain points. Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't know. Maybe this is a good, like, you know, starter book for me before I actually get into a real horror book. Yeah. Yeah. And, totally. <laughs> and I would say, too, that that almost feels pretty on brand for like original gothic books like Frankenstein and, and, uh, Dracula, where like I was scared. I know I said that earlier, but I think because I blow it up in my mind and I have, I had the movies to compare it to. Um, but I think like, like Dracula itself wasn't actually that scary. Mm-mm. No. You know, it was more of like a creepy, like, ugh, like you don't know who's watching you. You don't know what he wants with you, but like nothing's actually happening. And again, you don't know what's real when you walk into a room and he sees mm-hmm. like three naked vampire females. And he's like, huh? Doesn't know if that was a dream or not. Um, that's a very bad synopsis of Dracula. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot of like questionable narrator, weird reality bending, right? Like that kind of stuff was pretty classic to the genre um, if you go back to the roots. So I did appreciate that about this book, that it wasn't like scary monsters. It was like that slow burn, gothic, creepy tale of like, ugh, like did did they kill everyone in the house? Did they end this weird family I don't I don't want to say like they have mythical powers or magic, but like this weird family. I'll say supernatural powers. Yeah, supernatural genetics. Um, We don't know. The book kind of ends on like a we'll figure it out when we have children, I guess. Oh, it's like when we do the series and we need a second season. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if the show will do a better job of leaving us with a bigger answer, like visually. Right, like they can pan to the house on the cliff and show a mushroom sprouting again. Um, but yeah, so that was really interesting. I think that um, it did do a really good job with the genre overall. Um, I think it just she didn't know how to do a slow burn at the beginning. I don't think she knew what to do with it, um, mm. but it did pay off in the end. Yeah, fair enough. Have either of you guys watched Lovecraft Country? No, no I, not yet. And they actually just canceled the show, didn't they? I don't I don't know, but I watched I watched it this year. I I haven't read the book, so I don't know how accurate it is to the book. But they have 
they have a an actor in it that I kept picturing as Virgil. He's blonde and like piercing bright blue eyes, super creepy. And he had like the same demeanor that um that Virgil has in the book. And so I just kept thinking of this creepy guy while I was reading it. And I think that it made him I think that made him even more creepy and scary to me. <laughs> but the whole the whole family gave me the same vibes as the family in Lovecraft Country. It's again the weird creepy white colonialism type family. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm, there seems to be a trend. <laughs> <laughs> Look, even though there's some supernatural paranormal twists on these things, I'm pretty sure they they they're probably all fairly accurate in how they treated people. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they were experimenting on on all types of different people and and stuff back yeah. then. So And and the mines were predominantly owned by the Spaniards and then other European conquerors and they mistreated their miners who, yeah, might have gotten a little bit of silver, but were still overwhelmingly not benefiting from the work they were doing. So there were yeah. two parts in the book that made me go like oh, white people, of course. But one of them, one of them was in a lighthearted, like funny kind of way. Um, the, but the, later in the book, um, when um, someone's talking to Noemi, it's like she's going to marry her cousin, Michael. Is like, well, yeah, of course, you know, they would marry their cousins. I mean, and later on in the book, they explain it as like, well, you need to keep the bloodline pure because of the fucking, the fungus or whatever. But that's just the mentality. And it's funny, of- she kept bringing up the the jaw. Um, I now can't remember the name of the jaw, uh, but it's very famous. Uh, oh, God. It's a very specific Habsburg jaw. Uh, the Habsburg jaw was uh, from a British royal. It, it's a trait of a British royal family. Uh, this not the Spencers. Uh, oh, interesting. It was it was a result of literally hundreds of years of inbreeding. They married sisters to brothers, cousins to first cousins were married, uh, and it just cycled through. Like they would marry a cousin to someone in Spain and then like come back. Um, and then, so there were English people on the Spanish throne and they would marry another English royal and they would have more English babies that would then get moved around. So like at some point in Europe, most of the European families had this jaw. Um, and it, it, and they ended up not being able to produce heirs. And so the family line eventually died out. But, um, that was a fun little piece of history that I appreciated her bringing in. Like that, like, oh, they all look the same. It's like that Habsburg jaw. Um, because that that's exactly what I thought of when she first described the family, like cousins and cousins was I was like, oh, Habsburg jaw. Yeah, for sure. I had just read an article about it like last week um, and had been thinking about it. And then this book and I was like, OK, cool. What a what a full circle moment, a really creepy full circle <laughs> moment. Um, but yeah, that kind of shit was was real weird. What were we talking about before that? I kind of lost my train of thought trying to figure out that jaw <laughs> name. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, I mentioned um, the references to like 
white families and how they differ. Oh, yeah. To like, you know, Mexican families. And for me personally, one section of the book that really made me laugh um, was someone I was speaking to Noemi. And they said, first cousin, once removed, he's a, he's a bit older than me. And Noemi replies, I've never understood that. Once, twice, thrice removed. Who keeps track of such a thing? I always figure if they come to my birthday party, we're related and that's it. No need to pull out a <laughs> yeah. genealogy chart. And I yeah. laugh so hard because that's like, I've had multiple conversations with people who are not of Mexican culture of uh, yeah, once like second cousin, twice removed. I have no idea what that means. Like in my culture, it's just like generational. If you're my generation and not my sibling, you're a cousin. If you're above me in generation, you're not my parents, you're a Theo or a Thea. Like that's it. So like my dad's cousins, technically, they're like second cousins, I guess, but they're just my Theo because they're that generation. But they're, you know, like it's just, I complicate things. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm actually really mm-hmm. glad you brought that up because as someone who's also Mexican, who's about to marry this the one of the whitest boys you ever met. They're <laughs> they're that they're that family that will be like, "We put out the genealogy chart for you to walk by in the hallway, folks." But whereas for me it was like my aunt could be my mom's really good friend, mm-hmm. like there's enough family out there that I'm like, I'm sure that like the joke of like, oh, their last name is Romero. Do you know them? I'm like, I don't know. They could probably be related to me at this point. Like, I don't know. Like, it's but it's also just such a part of like, and I would say this is really prevalent in not just Mexican culture and like Latino culture, but like overall, like my my friends who are Filipino, like we've talked about this, like, like it's just like your auntie or yeah. your tío. Like it's it's just people who are part of the family. And I I really appreciate that about our cultures, that family doesn't necessarily have to do with blood. Like it's like who's there for you and who shows Mm -hmm. up to things is your family. Whereas I feel like like my future husband's family is very much like, you haven't seen them in 40 years, but they're your uncle. And it's like, "Uh, okay, what does that mean? I don't know them. Like, well, they're your uncle. And it's like, just because we're blood related doesn't mean I have to all of a sudden have feelings about them. Like, I I feel like in like, in like Mexican culture and like, don't want to speak for Filipino, but like the the vibe that I get from my friends who are either um, first generation or like are just not white, um, it tends to be like that, like the people who are in your life are your family. And it doesn't matter how close they are. If they're in your life, like they're family and you do things for them and you look out for them. And there is that some like, oh, this long lost cousin has come to town. Like now you're going to be best friends. There is that element to it too, for sure. But I feel like you definitely know more people. Um, and there's less of that like, oh, let's trace back our genealogical line. Like it's just like, nope, we're all related. It's fine. Don't even worry about it. I, I my My dad has two cousins they are brothers one is slightly older than the other um for no real reason i call one my theo and my other one my cousin which doesn't make a whole lot of sense except for the theo one is closer to my dad's age and then my cousin the one i call my cousin he's like a year older than me so to call him theo sounds weird because it's just like my generation so he's my cousin Mm -hmm. and my other one's my theo but they're brothers so they should technically be the same title whichever one but it just makes sense like no one questions it It just it is what it is because it's just the way you you relate to somebody not not by blood but just generationally shared cultural experiences whatever it's just like yo, i relate to you because we're the same 
you're my cousin yeah. or whatever. It has more to do with like age and yeah. wisdom yeah. and like that kind of hierarchy of like mm-hmm. experience versus like you said, like family ties. Yeah. So it is different. You're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've had that particular situation. That is kind of weird, but like <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But it also yeah. is like, well, yeah, of course he's your tío. Like he's your dad's age. Yeah. And then your cousin is close to your age. Yeah. Like that's just how it happens. Like it's like all the cousins, even if you're not really related, it's like those are the cousins. They're over there playing. The tías are over there cheesming. Yeah. You know? Gossiping. Yeah. Chismosas over there. And I have a Thea, officially Thea, who's younger than me. So I'm not going to call her Thea. You're younger than I am. Oh, that's okay. Like, that's the other thing about <laughs> like white families, too. And now we're just going on a rant, but like they are very much like that's your aunt. And it's like, but that's that's like somebody's new wife's kid, like that they're a child. Do you know what I do? You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. when, um, like modern family, like technically Manny is the kid's uncle, uh, Claire and Phil's kid's uncle, because technically it would be Claire's brother. And they're like, oh, that's your uncle Manny. And they're like, he's younger than us or our age. That's weird. And he's like, I'm not their uncle. And he's also like, he's Colombian. So like, I think he gets it more. Um, but he's also, he likes that power move of like, I'm your uncle. So like, I get to drink coffee and like hang out with the adults. It's kind of like a weird, I love Manny's character. He's my favorite. He's just like a little mini adult. He likes his suits and his coffee and little espresso cups. But um, So I want to yeah, say on every single episode we've had, there's been a moment where I say, I have not seen that. And this is that moment for this episode. I have not watched Modern Family what? at all. No. Wow. Jason, you're not the only one I have not either. Yeah, yeah. What? I was like, how'd you guys escape that? That was like one of the big shows way back in the day. Like, because um, at the time it? it was so, what? Are there robots or aliens or time travel oh God, okay, no. or artificial intelligence? Never mind. There yeah. was a really cool brown kid in it. So I thought you would like it. But never mind. <laughs> like if I wanted to watch a really cool brown kid, I would just look in the mirror. Oh. Were you ever a kid? <laughs> yes. How old are you? That 17, were there 61. mirrors? Were there mirrors when you were a kid? I just I don't know the timeline of that invention. Well, I don't know. They just been invented brand new technology. A brand new technology. <laughs> we just figured out how to shine silver really well. Really well. <laughs> like no Emmy, you just like you got it. You got it. You got your elbow grease. Yep. Figured it out. <laughs> um random question just yeah because it always stands out to me whenever i read a book that's like a period piece whatever that may be and they use the word fuck it always takes me out of it yeah i agree <laughs> did you guys did this end up to you i mean i guess fuck would have been around back then but it just took me out of it for some reason yeah it, i agree her like use of swear words and things didn't feel right like that wouldn't have for a Catholic woman in Mexico, that didn't feel right. Not that she was like a very good Catholic daughter by any means, but like it felt too casual. I don't know. Yeah. I don't feel like they yeah. explored that enough and that really took me out of it. I agree with you just because like being a former Catholic and it was it's like that takes a while to be like, I'm going to say the word fuck all the time or even just once. No, it takes I, takes years of training to be able to say that. Oh, I must have been on the accelerated course because 
I have no problem with that shit. <laughs> okay, for some of us, it took years, decades. Maybe, you, maybe you're a better Catholic than I was. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you. Uh, Brainwashed, that's for sure. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't think it really took me out of it. I don't think I noticed it. When did she say fuck? Um, <laughs> it was to Virgil, I think. Or was it to to the dad? I think it was Virgil, chapter 17. I marked it down. Go to sleep, <laughs> she said. But in her mind, she thought, fuck you. And her tone plainly indicated that. Oh. Oh, she what? didn't actually say it then. It was no, in no, her no, mind. I, thought, I thought she actually said fuck at one point. I mean, maybe she did earlier on, but this is the first instance like, it's where it I'm stood gonna... out to me because it just seemed like very... See, that one didn't stand out to me because she said it in her head, and that is realistic. <laughs> That's true. I'm going to search it on my ebook. But yeah, I swear she said it like at one point, like you you sad fuck or something like that. I don't know. Oh, apparently fuck was said. We need live fact checking over here. Look, we know we have the best fact checking. We've mentioned this before. Everything we say is facts. You don't need to double check it. Everything I say is not facts. There's there's four. They use it four times. Yeah, no. This one I marked is the is the first instance where it really stood out, and she does say it three more times, I guess, or use the word. Yeah. Um. Okay. So two. The first two are Noemi. The third one is Francis. Yeah. What is this one? I think the last one is Virgil. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but from Virgil, it's Virgil's a creep. Right. I mean, it is it. a sad fuck. I mean, the word's been around for a very long time. Sure, for fucking ever. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe we just aren't used to used to hearing it in you know historical period piece type things because you know. We aren't used to hearing people in the 50s say curse words. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I really, I would really love to know from someone who lived through the 50s. Rico, I don't know if you remember it, um, but how often the word fuck was used and like when was it used? Like, because I would assume like at school or around family, you wouldn't use the word, but maybe you would in this situation. I don't know. Because I don't feel like Mad Men gave me a very good uh, representation of what the 50s and 60s were like. I'm pretty sure that was 100% accurate. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Don Draper was a real character. He's yeah. historically yeah. accurate. He really Historic. did come up with the Coca-Cola commercial <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Laura, Bell, is there anything else that we want to talk about? <laughs> we're kind of all over the place on this one. We are definitely all over the place. Yeah. Um, I don't think I necessarily had anything specific to. Oh, actually, I did. I wanted to ask you guys: Do you feel like the relationship between Noemi and Francis did that come off fluidly, or I don't like? Did it feel like it was going to happen? Um, I don't know how to word it. It came question. off expected. If that's what makes sense. If expected? that makes sense. Yes. The entire progression of the book, I knew that was going to happen because that's what happens in these kind of books. Um, okay. Whether or not it felt natural. Rico's an expert in God yes, novels, yes, yes. obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah, whether or not it was natural, I don't know. Maybe the, there's something to be said about like 
a shared traumatic experience heightening emotions and attractions maybe because i think i remember i remember reading once or hearing something that like if you want to form a close emotional bond with somebody you're supposed to do something that like shoots up your adrenaline um Hmm. so there might be some of that where they're both going through this so that's that's artificially forming this bond between them sooner than it would under normal circumstances um i personally was waited for a bigger twist of francis not being the nice guy I was kind of expecting yes. that too. The entire time, especially especially after we learned that uh, the grandpa, whatever the hell his name is, um, is controlling Howard. everybody. Yeah, Howard. After he, he can't control everybody, I was thinking, oh, is Howard controlling Francis and making him be the good guy to gain her trust? And then we're going to find out. Nope, just kidding. It's been Howard the entire time. There is no real Francis. He's been a shell of a man. Um, and then never happened. So I was kind of disappointed, but I hope it works out between them. <laughs> I was kind of hoping he'd die because I don't trust that this mushroom magic is dead because he's alive. Um, so I really think like it needed to be a tragic love story <laughs> for it to be like a true conclusion slash happy ending. But uh, yeah, I definitely saw the relationship coming. I knew that they were going to kind of force it. I had a feeling she'd marry him. Like I I assumed that that was going to be how they kept her in the house was like, okay, well, we're going to have you marry Francis because we want your bloodline. And she wasn't going to be all that mad about it. Like mad she was being forced to, not mad that it was Francis. What are your thoughts on it, Laura? I mean, I liked I liked it. But like you said, it was it was kind of expected. And then I, at the same time, I'm wondering, like, does it make sense that Francis was so sweet and innocent to a, in a way? Like, does it make sense that that kind of character is living in that house? Like, grew up in well, it. Well, Harry Potter escaped the Dursleys and was not <laughs> a terrible true. human being. So... Maybe it had something to do with, like, his father's side and his father's upbringing. Like, he wasn't totally exposed to the house like Virgil was. You know, his dad was an outsider. So I I think that was his saving grace, and I think that's what ultimately allowed him to deviate from the family was this, like, fresh genetic input that his dad had that, like, probably made the spores not quite as effective. And again, this is where I was, like, there were some inconsistencies, like, I don't know how well I don't I'm not a geneticist, so I don't I don't know how well that works. Um, But I think that was his saving grace was that it wasn't his uh, he wasn't a pure uh, uh, Daryl or what is what's their family name? Doyle. Doyle. There we go. He wasn't a pure Doyle. So I think that's probably how he escaped. And his dad was like he said, like, my dad taught me Spanish and like he was curious and like taught me to appreciate certain things um, and outside perspectives. So I think that's kind of how he managed to survive the house and its influence. And I think like he said, like seeing Noemi, like he was eager to learn, like his dad had instilled that in him. So I think it was his natural like curiosity and his like drive to preserve and learn, preserve knowledge and learn from, from other people that I think saved him in the end. So I don't think I was quite as surprised by that. It did. It did have like Harry Dursley 
you know, vibes. Like, okay, yeah, he's like trapped in this house, but he's clearly like not one of them. Um, other than like a genetic sim- or a uh, familiar traits physically. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting yeah. look at nurture versus nature. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, that is the age old question. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a great point. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Too. That's one thing that I really liked about this is that I think it's like you. we were saying earlier, I think it's kind of supposed to be more like a fantasy, leans more fantasy. But in my mind, it also leans towards science fiction. I was thinking that I think it's way more science fiction than it is yeah, fantasy. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's got that science basis the to it. The genetics, yeah. And it's it's based, you know, on these scientific ideas. Hmm. <laughs> and I so kind I of, thought that was really cool. I kind of thought of Howard as a mad scientist a little bit, yeah. like this mad geneticist of like, I will purify a bloodline. I am a god descended. Like it's got that mythical fantasy element with like the the mythology of himself as a god, but it was definitely based on his weird pseudoscience, um, his Darwinian pseudoscience. So. That was that was pretty interesting. I, th- I think she did a great job there. Like, she definitely blended these genres really well, and it paid off. It was very creepy and very like mind fuckery of like, huh, what's going on? <laughs> Wait, you buried her alive, and her brain is now the gloom. What the hell? That's how we're hearing voices and memory and like learning things through memory. Like, wow. Um, so that was really cool. I really liked that. I think that that is why the science fiction element works so well because it is a gothic tale. And so if you look at like Frankenstein, yeah, it's a mm-hmm. sci-fi. It's considered the first sci-fi novel, but you know, um, the science fiction is pretty loose, right? You don't really question it, but mm-hmm. it's based on science, whatever that may be. And this is the same thing. It's it's based on science. It's based on my my, my cop. What's mushrooms? My cop. Something with the my. Anyhow, I, yeah, I got you. Study of mushrooms kind of mushroom. and kind of that, and you know how much how fungus do can, can take over host bodies and you know take over brains and all that kind of stuff. And those babe, the science is kind of there. Um, you but just I kind like. Of, sorry, I no, not to interrupt, but I like that she didn't over explain it either. No, that's why it works perfectly. It was the right amount of like mm-hmm. logical mushroom facts, and then mythical interpretations (laughs) like that's i think what made it really believable in the end it was really good it's really well done i think those are some of the most effective science fiction stories is where they give you just enough facts to give you a little bit of credibility like Mm -hmm. okay i'm along with this right now wherever you're going i'm I'm there because you've hit me with a b and c already you know, it's, you know, if we go back to Star Wars, it's like the myth of Han Solo. He was great when you didn't explain a lot of his shenanigans. Like, you just believed them at face value. It's what made him great. And then Solo tried to show the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs, and it ruined it for me. Like, I didn't need to know. I didn't need to peek behind the curtain. He was great. He didn't need an origin story. That's kind of what was good about him. So I think she did... Something like that here, where she didn't do the origin. Like, she gave the origins, but without, like, diving into some, like, weird scientific explanation for it all. It was just like, he's a god. That's how this is all happening. It was great. Bella, I do not disagree with you, but I still maintain that Solo is actually a pretty solid movie. 
it's if a you, good movie. If you take it's away what it's about, movie. it's it's a solid movie. We, we, yeah. It's not necessary, Mm-mm. but it's still solid. People don't, don't give it enough credit. I uh, I agree with Jason. I agree with Rico too, but I just I don't think it needed to be made, and they should erase it from <laughs> my eyeballs. Okay, well. <laughs> kind of ruined Han Solo for me. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, going back. <laughs> Going back to the mushrooms thing. Yeah. So if anyone has the ebook of this, um, there's actually a little bit of extra content in the end, um, like interviews and and just, uh, you know, additional little information. And they actually asked her what's up with the mushrooms. <laughs> and uh, she said there's something called mycorazole networks. Which mm-hmm. is basically a fungi communication system in forests. Mm-hmm. There's also something called a hub tree or mother tree. They are the central hubs for the network. So I thought that was going back to the whole sci-fi thing. Her idea for all of this is very much based on real mushrooms and tree systems. And so I think that was kind of, uh, you know, it was easier for us to buy into this concept too because it is based on such a real thing fungus is trippy so weird if you look at like fungus and how they have so many characteristics that match both plant life and animal life and it's so versatile so many different types of fungus out in the world it's crazy yeah you do you were just telling us the other day you wanted to go foraging i do yeah so there's a there's a mushroom i want to find it's called uh chicken of the woods um and is it, it vegan yeah it is so you can find these <laughs> mushrooms they're like they're they're like big orange <laughs> mushrooms they grow like on trees or something you can go get them and then yeah if you wash them you can cook them just like you would chicken and they're they tear like fibrous um they're supposed to taste pretty close to chicken like kind of like a hybrid of chicken and mushrooms um yeah seriously look it up anybody who's listening look it up chicken of the woods um, it's a real thing. <laughs> All right, Rico. <laughs> One of these days, I want to go out and find some. That's some extreme vegan shit right there. I thought you were a trash can vegan. You can't find that in a trash can. You're talking about going into the woods. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm spreading my wings and trying wow. to. You're becoming one of those vegans. The ones yeah. that other vegans hate. <laughs> yep. Pretty soon I'll be wearing Birkenstocks. It's like a whole and, new uh... level of veganism. <laughs> You'll you'll truly have evolved uh, uh, to your to your final my final form. form yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Look, okay. To be totally honest, if I can find them in the grocery store, I'll buy them right now. I don't want I don't want to go foraging for them. I just want them. <laughs> That's pretty much it. My my sister forages, so why don't I ask her if she's seen those mushrooms, and I'll hook you up. P- perfect. Thank you. That way, you don't have to go into the woods, Rico. I don't want to take the trash can vegan out of the trash. The, the woods are scary. Comfortable. There's, I know. There's I know. Animals. It's nature. Ugh. There's like <laughs> pollen and my allergies. Oh my God. Yeah. How would you even, you'd go into anaphylactic shock before you uh, found the mushrooms. There's yeah. a lot of furry creatures there. Just get all that dander in your nose. Oh my God. My nose is itching just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's, let's maybe wrap this up because we don't know what the hell we're talking about anymore. Um, what would you rate this book? Bella. Oh, man. I knew you guys were going to make me go first. <laughs> I actually would give it a solid four stars. 
All right. Like, I didn't want to give it five because that first half, I wasn't totally hooked by the book. Um, but by the end, I was like, this was pretty fucked up. It's had me thinking about it for a while. So this was good. it was good. And I recommended it to somebody. So I was like, that's a, that's a four-star book. Um, I think what would have given it five stars would have been maybe Francis dying, a little bit more of a sadder ending. Um, and then also maybe even taking this further for the scary level. Um, more Howard. I don't think there was enough Howard to really make it too scary. Like he came in at the end, but I thought we'd see a lot more of him in the middle. Um, cause he was fucking creepy from the start. Like the minute they introduced him, he was talking mm-hmm. eugenics and that was like, Ugh, get me out of here. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked it. I think overall it was a really great book. Four stars for sure. Laura. I, <laughs> I've been trying to decide what I want to rate this. Um, I'm, I will go with four stars also. Um, you can go half stars. We're not the Nazis like Goodreads. Okay. Maybe three and a half on Goodreads. I will probably put four. Um, just because like, you know, like Bella just said, the, the first half was really slow for me. And then, um, I was hoping for it to be a little more scarier, but I still, I still enjoyed it and I would still recommend it. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I give it a four. I enjoyed it overall. Um, give me some creepy moments. Maybe that's because I was in an office by myself at night. Um, but there's definitely <laughs> some creepy moments in there. Wouldn't consider it scary, but I definitely feel like it hit all the check marks that I expect from a gothic story very atmospheric kind of slow setting the mood building the atmosphere um bella i kind of agree with you that i wish the ending was slightly different i I wouldn't want francis to die i'd want noemi to be part of the family like i'd want it to end oh i forgot i i kind of thought that too yeah like it doesn't always have to end in a happy ending like just that's true end it or her being part of the family and boom um that would be that would be a more terrifying ending and make it scarier to me you know the Um, ending that i would have actually kind of jumping off of that because i I forgot about this my initial thought was that yes they'd escape the house but francis would die or he would come with them but so would the spores when he died and they they would would like there would be some kind of like cough or something that was a lot more definitive like they did not kill at all and like they've now just brought it into the town and infected the town or something. Like I, I just felt like there was like more of a contagion vibe of like it's not actually over. Um, maybe it's because this pandemic keeps dragging. I was, was going to say, man, you're you're hitting too close to home. I, I know. Sorry, that's it's a little too scary TV, for me. But <laughs> but I just felt like there needed to be some kind of like it could it could not be a happy ending. Like that was a lot of fucked up shit that they experienced in that house. And those mushrooms were pretty potent. So, well, I think I think maybe the author did that on purpose, left the ending kind of ambiguous. Yeah. Um. So then you you don't really know what's gonna happen. Um. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if this is a standalone or not. I mean, I don't see a second one. At least not yet. Um. But I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get a second book where. Francis is still infected and it took root in his brain since 
Agnes isn't there anymore. That was a book club book. And I'll ask you this as we end, since you brought up sequels. Uh, would you want the same in a sequel, if there was to be one, would you want it to be the same characters again in a continuation of the story or same place, different characters? So sort of like a revisitation of like maybe 25 years in the future, but it's different people discovering the house. Discovering the mushrooms. Hmm. That's a good question. I'm trying to think of movie sequels that I've seen that do it well. In particular, movies that revisit an existing franchise like 25 years later. Like which ones hit the mark pretty well and how do they do sequels? Um, it might depend on the time, the, the decade. Like maybe Jurassic Park-esque? Hmm. Not not the same characters. I'm gonna say not the same characters. I want new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think s- such a big part of the DNA of the book is Mexico, so mm-hmm. I'd want it to still take place in Mexico, if not in the same city, but somewhere definitely in Mexico. Okay. Um. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. I have an answer. Do you want to? Yes. Yes. Please. Yes. Share. I, I would love it to be like. 50, 100 years in the future, something like that. Because I'd want it to be the descendants of Noemi and Francis. And I would like it to be like siblings, maybe two brothers, a daughter and a son or brother, sister. Oh, brother, sister, because that could be a really good twist. Um, And let's say the brother is obsessed with the thought that their bloodline used to be... um, uh, uh, what is God like mythical? Like they were gods, and but he doesn't tell his sister this. It's maybe just like stuff he's secretly done, like a closeted neo-Nazi, but like a closeted eugenic uh, scientist. And he convinces his sibling to go to this town, maybe with like some friends. Like, oh, let's discover our past. Like, let's learn about mining. Like, let's learn about the town's history. Makes it like a sort of like nonchalant trip. Like, oh, we'll just go and like check out the ruins and like check out the gravestones, blah, blah, blah. Not telling his sister everything he knows about the history. Like, maybe he's done his research over the last, like, maybe they're 30 or something. And they get there and the brother like finds the mushrooms and is like, ha, 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 ha. Everything was as I planned it to be and like tries to fucking marry his sister and like kills his friends and like forces them to eat mushrooms and like the whole thing kind of happens again. Did you already write this fanfic? Because I I feel like you did already. That's good, huh? What the hell? That was good, huh? Good twist. Holy shit. That was a ride. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be good, though? I'd read that. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody send this to the author. I've got, I've got uh, ideas. So this is now the second fanfic that uh, is going to come out of a Bella episode. <laughs> Wait, oh, what yeah. was the first one? When did I come up with? It was, it was, uh, it was the um, oh, Gaynor, yeah, Gaynor. the Gaynor love story with um, the main chick from Lost Path here. Oh, yes, Gaynor, the gay character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our, yeah. Our, that's right. Our lesbian romance story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I stand by that. I still stand by that. I do too. I think this one's a little bit more exciting and a little bit more twisted. So, <laughs> yeah, a little, maybe a tiny bit. I, I want to see this one happen. Like, can't you see it though? Like, fuck. Like, somebody like 
like kind of like a Kylo Ren wanting to bring back Darth Vader vibe. Like, let's go back to our roots. Let's be back. I was thinking that, but I want—I don't want to bring up Star Wars again. Wow. And you did it anyway. Wow. <laughs> I always yeah. find a way. And especially with the brother and sister thing. I'm like, oh, we, yeah. here we got Luke and Leia. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Tale as old as time, man. <laughs> Yikes. Brother falling in love with his sister. <laughs> oh, awkward. I don't know. <laughs> Um, yeah. Not a story. Okay. Your story doesn't sound like it's love. So. Okay. So. No, it's de- it's definitely his motivations are purely like bettering his race, <laughs> like becoming the dominant race once again. There's yeah, it's yeah. definitely some white supremacist shit. But, but the whole point is that maybe eventually they finally eradicate the mushrooms, or it just happens again in another hundred years. Who knows? But I have a Morocco. sequel. I have a sequel. If we're gonna go out yeah. there, I'm gonna go out there. Mo- okay. Okay. The the this fungus, <laughs> these mushrooms, are actually an alien life form. Whoa! And so in the future, that's too out there. Mine so, was so based in the future. In the story, <laughs> the aliens have come back to Earth, and it's an invasion using these mushrooms. I buy it. Who was using who? Were the humans using the mushrooms, or the, were the mushrooms using the humans? The humans were using the mushrooms. You don't think the mushrooms were using the humans to develop a higher consciousness or something? No, I like sci-fi stories where the humans are the bad guys. Because humanity is awful. Um, well, again, you're usually dead accurate. Yeah, so I like when you flip it a little bit because you expect it's the aliens that are bad, but it's actually the humans. These original mushrooms that arrived, the humans were using them and... Um, Mm. Okay, like like taking advantage of the mushrooms. Powers. Yes, they perverted what the mushrooms can do. Okay, so oh, okay. now I like that. I like that. Yeah, so now the aliens have more. come back. And... Ooh, are they going to punish the humans and murder yes. them? Yes. Yeah. I like. That. I read that too. Yeah, I'd read that. Okay, too. so is that our second fanfic? <laughs> this is yeah, and these could both exist at the like, coincide. Like maybe Bellas takes for place first. Mine comes afterwards. Mine's maybe. the slow burn, and then the aliens appear when yeah. he's just about to marry his sister. Why do we mean the like, same story? Oh, oh, oh you want to? You want oh, to? Oh, you're connect. talking about different stories. Like a trilogy. About- We're like a trilogy. Yours is like the sequel, and then mine's a third one in the trilogy. Are they all wanna- like a hundred years apart then? So like Jason's takes place in two hundred sure. years. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Or it's a hundred and one, and it's just like the next year, and they're like, "What the fuck happened here?" <laughs> Like, what is going on? Even we don't marry our siblings. <laughs> we should just eradicate the whole race. <laughs> oh, gee, we are not staying on topic at all. Um, this is gonna be the nope. weirdest episode. Oh, uh, okay. So what do we we said we rated it for? Goodreads has a, an average rating of 3.7 out of 170,000 reviews. Just under what we rated it, but Laura, you gave it a 3.5. So Averages out no, around yeah, there. I think that's about right. Oh, cool. Um, because we mentioned it earlier, I do have a couple recommendations I want to mention. First and foremost would be check out Crimson Peak, the movie directed by Guillermo del Toro. Um, if you like just the vibes of this book, you'll love that movie. It's perfect for the Halloween season. Watch it next month. Turn off the lights. Just enjoy it. It's a good movie. Uh, <laughs> um, and then I can't talk about this author without recommending another one of her books. One of my favorites It's called certain dark things. Um, it takes place in Mexico city, um, where basically the city is 
kind of taken over by vampires. Vampires just exist in Mexico City. And it's, it's, it's about this one particular vampire um, who comes across this young young man who basically wants to like pledge himself to her. And she needs to get go, she needs to escape the city. He wants to follow her. He's like, here, drink for me. Let me just be your your let me be your what's the what's the Dracula from Renfield? Um never mind. I don't know. Uh yeah, but I love it. I love vampires, and so of course, because it takes place in Mexican culture, Mexico City, I'm all for it. So if you like this author, you like what you do with this book, I would definitely recommend checking that one out. Those are my recommendations. Do you two have anything to uh to pimp out to the masses? Rico. Uh no, I, I feel like Guillermo anything Guillermo del Toro and then yeah. certain dark things is definitely on my list to read after this book because when I looked and uh Velvet is the night, I think is also by the same author. And uh would highly recommend those two. They seem really good. I have not read them. Um I will be reading them, but they seem also like excellent books. Um, yeah, I, this isn't really a genre I read a lot of, so I didn't have anything similar. Uh, if you want to watch certain shows, uh, Sharp Objects is the Amy Adams show on HBO that I would highly recommend. And Big Little Lies, anything with like Nicole Kidman lately has been spooky and scary. So would highly recommend that. There's also The Woman in the Window with Amy Adams on Netflix, I want to say. Those are um, also similar, like kind of unreliable narrator, um, women trapped in homes or environments that are not as they appear to be, are not safe. That's all I will say. Those would be good. Sweet. Yeah. Same as Bella. I I don't have very many books that are like this, but I did previously mention Lovecraft Country – the TV show, um, Jason, I don't know if you think the book was similar to this or not, but the TV show um, kind of had the same vibes for me, um, except for that it was more about monsters and and stuff like that. Um, but it definitely had that similar creepy feeling and, um, uh, again, creepy white family kind of thing going on. <laughs> oh, but this one also has magic. There's magic in the in, in Lovecraft Country. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It is I forgot about that. I want to watch that. I, I you're convincing me I need to just do it. It was really good. Yeah. It, it really was. And it also it does take place, I believe, in the 50s or 60s so mm-hmm. um had that that same thing going for it too uh and then one final thing for hispanic heritage month i would just invite you all to um go out there challenge yourself and find um a new book by a hispanic author um or a story that features hispanic characters um i think regardless of the culture um diving into different stories than what you are typically used to uh, just adds so much flavor and such a unique take on things. Um, Like this, you know, 
could have worked just as well as just, you know, a Western civilization gothic story, but because it was sent was based in Mexico and there's just a little sprinkling of that, it just makes it a little different. Um so yeah, just go out there and look up some some books by some uh Latine or Latinx authors. Um and uh yeah, have fun. Laura, thanks as always for joining me. Bella, thank you so much for coming back and joining us again for this book. Um, always have fun talking to you. So appreciate Thanks having for you. inviting me back. I'm glad that I didn't uh, ruin the first episode and you brought me back. <laughs> no, never, <laughs> never. The episode's such a low bar to begin with. So you, you can't, you can only go up. <laughs> you can only go up from there. <laughs> you can only go up. Um, all right. Uh, any, any, any last words from either of you? No, I mean, just uh, anybody who's read this um, Mexican Gothic, um, feel free to let us know what you thought of the book, too. Um, and if you have any recommendations for us that, for something similar, um, we would be very interested to check them out. Yep. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, feel free to uh, follow us on social media. You can find all our stuff. If you look up shit we've read, you'll you'll find us. Um, until next time, thanks, adios, gracias, hasta luego, mis amigos. Hasta luego. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> this episode of Shit We've Read has been an Oblivion Geeks production, hosted by Laura Benson and Jason Rico, with music by Joshua Chilton. To join the discussion on this and all other books we've read, find us at Shit We've Read on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For episode transcripts and more information about us, please visit shitweavered.com. This podcast is part of the Bilo Network. Visit bilonetwork.com for more great geeky podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Ooh.